Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to BW Connect Spaces. Um, thank you for joining us today for first time um, joiners. This, this is BW Connect Space. We have this space every two weeks. It is a Botswana ecosystem space, um, mainly around entrepreneurship. And the idea for BW Connect Spaces really is to share is to share knowledge as entrepreneurs and everybody else in the ecosystem and trying to sort of build our ecosystem together. I think we all realize, and we always all realize this on, when we are on Twitter that, you know, we don't have the same level of knowledge about certain things. And as entrepreneurs, a lot of the time we found that we struggle with certain things that maybe other people have had and um, have got a lot of exposure in. And therefore, BW Connect Spaces was created to, to help with that. Um, to help with the knowledge sharing. BW Connect Spaces is proudly powered by um, APSA Bank Botswana. From the second we are born, we are work in progress. With one single directive to grow. Forward motion, progress, Zwellobi. Growth is saving up for your first pair. Growth is wanting, then having. Growth is using every bit of our fiber to shrink the space between where we are and where we want to be. Growth is constant learning. Growth is taking you on a first plane ride. Growth is making good on an old promise. Growth is not perfect. But it's working on it. Get it done with APSA Youth Banking. That's Africanacity. That's APSA. APSA Bank Botswana Limited is regulated by the Bank of Botswana. T's and C's apply. APSA Bank is... is, is Absa Bank is, is your bank of choice, which decided to join forces with BW Connect Spaces to try to um, support the efforts of BW Connect Spaces in growing our, our ecosystem. It ties in quite well with their tagline of hashtag Africanacity. Um, so today, we have decided that we will take on the issues of blockchain and NFTs. And I mean, I kept saying over and over again um, in the tweets, to bring us here that this will not be about trading so if you're here hoping to get crypto advice and trading uh, and trading advice this is not what this particular space is going to be about the space is going to be about the technology and what opportunities um, the country and individuals in the country have that a blockchain and other technologies like nfts are about to unlock in the future, what's being done in other countries, what opportunities exist, and maybe where you as an individual can look um, to slot yourself for what particular developer forums or things like that that you can look at in trying to, to, to use these certain technologies in your entrepreneurial journeys and also if, if you want to be an employee. So we're tr going to try to dumb it down. Uh, we're going to try to make it as easy and as accessible as possible. And therefore, I'm going to ask my guest speakers, um, Kelvin David and um, and Sean and, and Simba Mariri, to try to keep it as dumbed down as possible, to try to make it as simple so it is accessible to everybody. Um, and once again, I'd like to say thank you. If you've got any questions, as you know, please... Um, use the hashtag BWConnectSpaces on your timelines um, to ask any questions, any comments, um, and we will put them to the panel. Um, today we may have a special guest who may pop in. If he pops in, we will take a few questions with him. 
um, and an investor, um, a Kenyan investor who's been involved in blockchain quite a bit. And we may be able to learn on what they've been doing um, in, in, in their part of the continent. Um, but without further ado, I think let's kick it off. Let's us introduce the two panelists that we have. Um, I will start with Calvin. Calvin, how are you? Um, please introduce yourself. Um, let us know what you do um, in your day to day and how you how you got into this space. Were you always in computer science and and all those kind of things? How did you get to where you are? Hi guys, thanks for for tuning in. Um, my name is Calvin. I'm a digital and data specialist. Mm-hmm. I specialize in data pipelines, data management, and digitization. And I'm a tech fanatic, and I think um, coming across um, technology like blockchain and so forth was the advent of um, just trying to discover new emerging techs that could, you know, be efficient and make life easier. Um, my day-to-day involves um, drafting data strategies, you know, um, automating processes, um, integrating systems, um, all in the name of trying to uh, make data accessible to everyone. Um, and also I'm um, trying to um, mm. also instill data governance rules as well as some um, data governance and um, policies mm. so that um, when we comply to those data services and products, we're able to not veer off the legislation. So my extensive uh, experience and background is um, based off of um, working for telcos, um, banking institutions, as well as I'm um, running in. A consulting with um Sean as well as um um other two two gentlemen who are who are not in the space with us. And um I do a lot of extensive consulting for, for EU Botswana government as well as um um Eastern African um CDC um company. So um what what with um with, with blockchain as I mentioned um I'm quite intrigued by blockchain because um, of what the possibilities that it can offer, especially for uh, LMICs being the low and middle-income countries, developing countries, as well as um, the potential that it can unleash, not just in the space of, of tech, tech being the core, or tech uh, being the, the, the support. Um, either way you look at it, uh, you still can benefit a lot in terms of those use cases. And I hope... Um, by the end of the space, we would have probably exhausted um, several of those use cases and made you guys understand how they relate in conjunction to um, to us maybe um, leveraging the economy and, and Botswana as a whole. So, so yeah, that is me. I, I enjoy cooking, astronomy. I enjoy traveling. I enjoy coding, building computers and and all that. Yes, and, and cars as well. So that is, that is me in a nutshell. Thank, thanks, Calvin. It's good to see Jorge. There are still people who, in interviews, uh, still tell us about hobbies. <laughs> um, I'm like old it's school. Probably the, it's probably there at the bottom of your CV. <laughs> of course, there is. <laughs> Great. Um, let's bring in Simba. Simba, um, how did you end up in the tech space? Um, you know, who are you? What do you do? Um, yeah, tell us who you are. Um, hi everyone, Simba here, Sean Simba Mariri. Um, basically, I got involved in this technology space a long time ago through my curious mind. I think from a very young age, I've been a person who likes to reduce 
anything that I see to its bare minimum. And once I reduce it to its bare minimum, after that, I can never, ever uh, misunderstand its various iterations. Eh? So I think uh, from a young age, I, well, I got trained in finance. From finance, eventually I realized that I had a passion for, for science and technology. And from there, I think it became sort of like an obsession. I kept on learning new things. I professionally went into different uh, <clears throat> fields, specifically maths and statistics and physics. And I think during my physics training, that's when I eventually met quite a number of individuals that are obsessed with something called uh, Austrian economics. Eh? I think most of the people that were involved early on in developing the technologies that we now call blockchain and cryptocurrencies were all part of the that cyberpunk movement that was involved in Austrian economics. So I think from that time onwards, it, it was a rabbit hole. And I think by 2012, 2013, that's when I started hearing rumors of something called uh, Bitcoin. And when I went now to the technology, I remember this is the stuff that we already were using uh, in basically encrypting data. And I, I think from there I was sold up until now. I've been more into the technology than the economics of it because I think... I think 2015 for me was uh, was where it ruined it for me on the economics uh, basis when it comes to, to blockchain. A lot of people now found out that there was something called blockchain and Ethereum. They jumped in to make money. And then by 2017, there was the ICO craze. People lost money. And I realized that sometimes for adoption to happen, it needs to happen through education, not necessarily people chasing money. Yeah? So in a nutshell, my... I'm the founder, co-founder and CEO of a company called KYC Technologies. And we basically offer 10 key enterprise level digital solutions. Our specialties are inclusive of digital identity. When we look at those ones, we're looking at mostly KYC and AML solutions. So we, we offer fully digital solutions to that nature. We read any idea of the world. We also check people on AML databases and we automate that entire process. So we call that workflow automation. We are also uh, specialists in business intelligence, specifically big data. And we have quite a number of projects which we are currently doing, uh, deploying our data lakes for various enterprises within Botswana. And lastly, we also specialize in systems integration, whereby we help the silos that uh, a lot of organizations have to talk to each other so that you can be able to improve efficiency in organizations. Uh, my passions are for science and technology, specifically cosmology. But it's all math at the end of the day. <laughs> I think that's me in a nutshell. Okay, so I'm going to need you... Something that I asked, and I think I'm going to keep repeating, I'm going to need you guys to dumb it down, right? Uh, I'm going to need you to not speak like you're speaking to other tech guys. So I want us to go back, um, Simba, to... You, you were talking... You, I think you mentioned about three or four things that your your company does. One of them you mentioned, um, KYC and AML um, system automation. I want you to break down, just break it down in layman's terms what that means and then speak in practical cases for someone who's on the space um, saying, this is the problem that you guys are currently dealing with and this is how we're trying to solve it, just like in very basic terms. Okay, no problem. Uh, basically, when you talk about KYC, that's simply broken down to know your customer. These are the various systems or processes that you find in organization to determine who is who to provide you with services. 
So as an example, um, the regulators in Botswana will require a bank, uh, an insurance company, or any other service provider to positively identify an individual to provide them services. So that's what we call KYC. Yeah? So it's identification of, of individuals. So it can be done in many ways. Traditionally, we would take a, the, uh, an original of our ID copy plus a certified copy. You stand in front of someone who look at the, the document plus the copy, scrutinize your face, then they say, ah, this is a reasonable approximate of the individual. Then they can be able to say, no, the, the, you are the original person. And then they can be able to onboard you for any service provision. AML stands for anti-money laundering. So now these are systems that basically um, work towards putting checks and balances on individuals that are onboarded for services to make sure that the services that they engage in are within the parameters of the law. So as an example, there are caps on how much money you can be able to send via Western Union, who you can send money to, and which activities you can fund. So you're not allowed to send money to, let's say, terrorist organizations or to send money to known criminals or basically to use uh, financial services from banks to buy, let's say, illicit drugs or to finance cartels and things like that. So AML basically stands for anti-money laundering. And these are processes that are designed specifically to make sure that funds flow to legitimate sources. So we specialize in that process, but digitally now via artificial intelligence and machine learning. Our system has been trained to read every single ID on planet Earth, um, ID, uh, driver's licenses, passports. We can read any document. If someone has even removed a picture and put their picture there, we're able to detect that via what we call uh, template uh, manipulation. If someone has changed, uh, let's say, the names on an ID or a passport, we're able to find that text modification. So we have very robust systems that we have trained with <clears throat> millions of iterations of reading the same documents over and over until the system is, is quite robust. We have uh, an over 99% success rate when it comes to reading documents. And also we work with third parties that give us access to anti-money laundering databases like the <clears throat> Interpol, FBI, OFAC, FATF. So we have... Uh, access to those databases via what we call APIs. And we're able to help organizations now to automate that process of identifying people to check if they are on any database for being naughty people. And also now to help organizations make decisions to help individuals access services. Simba, thank you for that. I think you'd gotten to the end. Um, I deliberately wanted us to do that so that we make it accessible. I mean, it wasn't necessarily relevant to the to the conversation, but let's try as much as possible, even in describing these technologies, to just try to make it accessible to the average listener. Um, let's let's not let's not bash them in with our our nice tech talk. Um, so yeah, let's let let's carry on. Um, Calvin, I'm going to start with you. In as dumbed down possible way as you possibly can please tell us what is blockchain. Um, you can give us a little history if you have to, but just break down to us in the most simple, basic layman terms what blockchain is. 
Okay, so I'll try to be simple as you suggested. <laughs> so um, the blockchain technology is not new per se. Um, I'll try to relate it to the technology for databases. So I'll take it from databases then to, to blockchain. Um, so I think almost everyone here knows what a database is. Basically, it's just a, a system or software of storing data in a particular format um, arranged by maybe um, records alphabetically or type of data that you are trying to store. So if you think of, uh, of a database as, a, as your as maybe your, your file, your file keeping, your file keeping um, a mechanism where you know in a library there's a system for for, for indexing books, um, you know filing system there's of indexing books files. So blockchain is based on that premise. The only difference with blockchain is that um, in in many organizations um, databases of course were used to to actually uh, provide uh, be be like a backup or a back end um, for applications. So let's say you are you are trying to to, to start a, um, a sales company or you are trying to sell something and then you have to keep your a list of your of your customers. Then you have to record them on an Excel sheet or record them in a particular way that you can actually retrieve that information. So the database will actually help you to uh, store that data. And then uh, also help you if you want to retrieve that data in a particular format or particular record, particular location. So um, blockchain is just um, that organized um, chunks of data. Now they form what you call a chain. And then that chain has got, you know, literally in the sense of the word blocks. And um, the reason why it, 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 it became popular or it became the mainstream um, um, layer two, layer three technology um, protocol or technology um um, system is because uh, two very key mechanisms uh, that will elaborate further uh, were applied to it. Instead of just being able to log into a system and uh, go into a database, blockchain now enables you to encrypt that data. Encryption means you are converting data from a readable format into a format that is uh, that needs a, a what you call a private key to um, um, decrypt or, or decode it. So think of a code. If you if you guys have studied the history of codes, think of the Caesar cipher where you transpose the alphabet to to hide your message uh, by shifting the letters. But in this instance, you're using now advanced uh, math formulae and algorithms to convert that data into those blocks before they can be stored in that chain. And um, so blockchain, because of that um, um, um functionality of one encryption and to a, a concept that will also explore called validation and verification. And most, most importantly, um, the decentralized approach or the, the non-single um, point of failure where everything is just congregated, but it's actually distributed across. And you now create what you call a network, um, made it so powerful that uh, people started to build what you call protocols and platforms over that particular technology which offshoot into those uh, many use cases like your cryptocurrencies, you know, like your, your, your tokens and so forth, and, and like, you know, validation for voting. So just to backtrack a bit, it's just an extension of a specialized database that uh, actually encrypts data as you actually um, do whatever um, transactions or whatever activities in that particular uh, block. And after you do whatever, after you validate it on that network, it's then stored in those blocks. And um, there's another extension in terms of um, accessibility. You know, some blockchains, they have what you call... Um, uh, they've that the private or permission list. There's just a, a list of people who can actually validate or access it. Um, some blockchains are, are able to be viewed by, by by the public at large, but that 
everyone doesn't mean you're going to basically undo the encryption. It's just to see, okay, there, there was a transaction and there's that block that is appearing as the ledger grows. So just like in the traditional way of filing, if you take your ledgers, then you put them in a file, you sort them in a file A to Z, the next row A to Z, the blockchain also grows in that instance based on the transactions that are occurring, being encrypted and then being stored in that chain. I, I don't know how simple I can okay. get to point. <laughs> So, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a few questions based on that. Yeah. You mentioned something. You said validation and verification. What is that, and 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 why is that impo- important? And also um, decentralization. And then you know, almost put that against what the current systems were. Remember, one of the biggest things that I think um, blockchain originally was was always said to be threatening was sort of the financial services and banks. So maybe give us an example with banks, um, speak to verification and validation in that regard, and then speak to decentralization and what that actually means in a practical sense. Okay, I'll start from the decentralization so that it actually um, paints that illustration of how we get the validation based on the nodes or the peers or the, the, the circle of trust um, that can validate or verify what is going on before that actual block can be now said to be legit and stored in a blockchain. So our traditional finance approach, we know that the central bank has controlled the supply of currency. The supply of currency is actually a liability to the central bank because they issue out currency in form of notes and coins that are printed. Um, um, this, this, this note is legal tender for X amount, 10, 20, and you exchange that piece of fiat currency uh, for goods or you buy for goods and services with it. And the circulation um, increases the economy by the money moving hands, money being stored, money being borrowed, um, inflating the value of money through the cost of money by uh, putting interest on it, either through savings or, or loans. So there's an, a central authority or an authority like in the case of Bank of Busan that governs how those commercial banks issue or actually play around with those services attached to that fiat currency. So that's the centralized approach, hence also the term central bank. So the threat that comes, uh, I'll not call it a threat, so, but I would like to call it a benefit based on the loop of trust because um, even one of the protocols that you, you might not even dwell into, Bitcoin, for example, um, has that a validation decentralized approach. So, but, but, but let me just get into that. So the, the decentralized approach that the blockchain has, when you start to create a, a test net, or when you try to, to, to create a, a how, how do I say it in simple terms, if you try to create a net of um of, of validators or people who are going to be uh, doing transactions or in that in that blockchain, um, it's not just me and you. You know, you look at the connect spaces crowd here, and each will probably have a chunk or a copy of that um of blockchain in their in their machines running on a virtual machine. So if I exchange a transaction with you, it's not just um authorized by me and it's okay fine we've done that um, transaction any person with another uh, computing ability to validate what there was that exchange or exchange of, of of the token or the coin or whatever or the protocol um it triggered um a, a rule in the in the whole net, network so that network is the decentralized approach there's no one single person who says i'm the only validator people compete with resources to validate the transactions and by the virtue of them joining in the validation causes or creates the decentralized approach, which then also increases the 
the zero trust efficiency of saying we cannot rely on three people to validate, but rather X number of people as the blockchain grows. So, um, and also because um, the, the the wallets that hold or or, or the pieces of um, software um, that hold um, that value that you use to transact between the two parties, they are also encrypted and can be kept um, offline or what we call cold storage. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the validation. Um, the validation is also um, important in the sense that as you keep on doing more transactions and as the cycle of trust grows, as more nodes join, um, you actually reinforce um, that particular um, decentralized um, a platform or, or, or protocol. And that is where now it becomes more immutable. And um, there's a theory that is called the, the Byzantine attack. I, I won't get into it. It's based on the uh, in- encryption entropy. So it actually prevents middle and the men attacks or people from outside to try to play into that space to steal money or to, or to try to and mimic or duplicate those transactions. Like I would go into the central bank, then I actually make counterfeit notes. So this is where the strength of, of the blockchain comes from. And not just, the reason I keep on going back to tokens and coins is because it's the most commonly used um, 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 uh, technology in, in creating coins and, and, and tokens and easy, easier to understand when you're related to, to banking. So as I mentioned, just to, to wrap it up, um, the, the event of you now having a decentralized network of people playing in that space, doing validations or somebody being able to prove that a transaction occurred faster than getting rewarded with tokens or coins makes the cycle grow bigger and the decentralized thing uh, getting more strong and with more trust. Unlike where in the central, in the traditional finance way, we rely on, you know, we trust that the currency we get from the Bank of Botswana is legit, it's original, and it's not fake, and it can be used for exchange of goods and services. And, um, you know, when you validate as well, uh, some people, they get promoted to validation based on their consistency, their system resources, and their ability to understand the the, the, the security protocols involved around protecting uh, that particular um, a network and thus it can grow into many things and I, I would like us to to not really, really dwell into the tech. Simba will elaborate further on the on the basis of the tech part so that we uh, move to the use cases and then that way you will get why uh, people would rather uh, do things in a way that is seems to be fast, efficient, convenient and has encryption attached to it and also Recall that as much as you talk about it being, being being private, there's also an issue of anonymity. Some protocols uh, and platforms uh, or protocols can actually provide anonymous transactions. Some can provide private, but not necessarily anonymous transactions, as as we'll see. So I don't know if if, if that kind of you know, sheds a bit of light in what the difference would be between the centralized traditional finance model against the decentralized um, validation network of being able to offshoot um, products on platforms using particular protocols. Yeah, so to, to just sort of try to simplify that, I think you said when you look at um, in the centralized model, you're, you have sort of a bank of Botswana or a central bank in the middle, and they sort of control Arre in terms of the banking system. Everybody sort of goes through them, and they sort of provide... Um, sort of validation and verification to say yes that is that that transact and all transactions sort of come to them via clearinghouse who then say yes transaction and then they they pass it on to everybody else so you've got one central place 
but then in the in the decentralized model it's where that responsibility spread out so you don't have you know you can't even necessarily have like an attack where if if the one central thing falls down that means everything crashes so you've got now many people it's almost democratic where everybody has sort of has the same power um in saying in saying sort of yes and no and all of the transactions are stored um in in, in all of the different nodes so so I want us before I don't want us to dwell on that on the technology and I, I want us to now start moving to um the use cases because I think that's why most people are, are interested. Um the the easiest use case we always speak about obviously it's 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 on the financial services side. Um just give us an example you know, if in in a in a blockchain world, um explain how that would sort of disrupt um, the financial services sector, and then you know, take us through maybe one or two others um, that relate. I think you've mentioned voting, um, election voting as one of them, and also even on possibly Kalend. I know that there's you know there's um, discussions on having things like title deeds sit on blockchains and how that would work um, in, in in helping you know in in helping sort of in disrupting the current our current system. Yes, thank you for that. Um, yes, I, I like how you mentioned the land issue because um, out of out of interest, even in Sweden, I think Sweden Norway, they're actually practicalizing the issue of um, doing title deeds using blockchain. So um, what I like is that, um, you know, Simba mentioned something very, very interesting in terms of um, what, what also we provide in terms of digital KYC. Just as a basic um um, in a cohesion manner. You know, all these things are interlinked. You start off with providing identity. Identity is the core thing that you do to request for a service. When you are born, you're given a birth certificate with a number that is going to now be converted to your Oman. And then as you grow older, by the time you're 16, you make that Oman. And that Oman is your basic document that you go anywhere with it. Whether you want to go to school, whether you want to apply for land, when you want to do your passport, when you want to do your license, that piece of, uh, of, of, of that card actually is your basis. So taking back to blockchain, we can actually now, instead of you carrying that piece of plastic card or even embedding a chip on it, create what you call data attributes around um, an entity. So uh, that is going to come important or, or, or relevant when you now access stuff like land, like that data attribute would have your demographic information, even juristic information in it or data in it, like your date of birth, physical address, postal, which can even validate against all other um, data points, your, your picture in terms of, of, of an image data type, your thumb, your thumb, your, your, your thumbprint in terms of a, of a thumbprint. And, you know, we can actually take all those attributes, convert them into one single NAS code that if you want to go apply for land or if the government implemented that protocol in land application, the moment you are born because it's so said that it's an universal right, you actually are tagged and are recorded into the blockchain of um, live beds and people who are alive. And then it triggers at the age of land registration to say, go register for land. When we go register for land, we don't need to start saying, Bring me your ID. Bring me a certified copy. Uh -uh. We go to that blockchain system. We tap into it. Your attributes, they pop up digitally. Then we allocate based on your domicile. Or we see how many allocations do we need to bring against employing. Is he requiring land in the area where he works or he comes from or where you got married or some other place where land is available? 
And then the fun part comes now in terms of purchasing land, actually transferring land rights, because the traditional way where you involve lawyers to convince and actually um, do title deed letters of undertaking bank financing, all the players using blockchain can come into that ecosystem. One, at the bank, because now they can verify your identity from the identity provider, i.e. Rukola spoke about um, the data attributes. It's a lot. We create them using those um, data points. You go to the bank, you take out your phone or you take out your, your, your digital wallet, enter into a system, they validate that, okay, you're a Motswana based on that system. And then this Motswana wants to buy land from another Motswana. And then um, other players in the ecosystem, they actually see that transaction because Rukona said the transactions are viewable based on the permissions. And then it kicks off another process. And alert goes to conveyances, then you choose one of your choice. Then they can use the digital um, assets or digital currency to exchange funds to charge you for that service. You know, no money is exchanging hand, no physical documents, it's just data, physical attributes that are existing in the blockchain. And then the nice part is also your record for the land that you own. If one person has to have one plot, it appears in the blockchain. We can actually validate or Calvin and Poeng each have one plot. And or maybe Calvin has uh, zero plots he wants to acquire land from Poeng. Or the system can flag and say, there's an exception. I will allow him to buy more than one plot. So you see, how many value ads I've mentioned just in a space of just you registering to be a Motswana using the data attribute on the blockchain to the banks coming along to actually facilitate the transfer of funds using blockchain. Three, um, the title deed or the land rights being stored in the blockchain as a digital attribute. And four, the transparency and accountability of saying what are the records that we can actually validate of land ownership. And that way your land allocation is very seamless. And... um. Of course, we might encounter some um, difficulties in trying to then reform how the system is, you know, unfortunately, because we started with physical reports. But with the land one, it's quite a very nice attribute. And I think we also let mentioned... Me, okay, let, me, let me, before we move on there, what, what's, what, that sounds like the same process that we are currently following for, for land. So what's, what would be the main advantage there on doing it on blockchain versus deeds. What's what's what what would the difference be? The difference would be the efficiency, the speed at which that will be validated. Instead of you waiting for six weeks, you get the transfer done quickly. And also the other thing is the money transfer, how the money is, is converted. The money is available in a way that is not just physical cash, but also in digital currency. And most importantly, the transactions are encrypted. Only people who are responsible to validate them can validate them. But the outcome or the record of Calvin having that land is public global information. And then also it then involves players simultaneously instead of you being in a linear process it could be a star topology approach of people coming to one single point to transact and then being able to get, get value as from those and also remember blockchain one other key thing about blockchain there's that concept of immutability whatever record you create that stays in the blockchain is not easy or it's not even deletable you know so I cannot come and claim that, oh, I was not allocated land, uh, you know, you can you, you can actually view that. So it takes away that issue of I'm not being transparent. It gives it efficiency. It also carries away this concept of us carrying paper. I know you might say, well, at the end of the day, for default purposes, we need paper as backup. Yes, it could be as a contingent, plan C, plan D, but initially the approach would be there. 
paperless, digital, seamless, efficient, secure uh, way of, of, of doing the transfer or land allocation. Okay. So, so let, let me try to see if, I've, if I can simplify it and then tell me if I'm understanding it correctly. What you're then saying is, um, if I'm sitting now with my ID, which would have a record of um, the assets that I have, um, and I want to sell you a piece of land, we, I would basically be able to give you, so my piece of land would probably have a code um and i will be would be able to uh, a pass a thing like a like a username and password almost and i would be able to therefore give you the password yeah my particular plot and we would be able to almost transact um, instantly and then it would be instantly verifiable across everybody so so this thing a lot of that might then the speed of verifying all of that sort of gets cut out and we would almost be able to do instantaneous transactions yes and manju you still like we are taking away the values and the conveniences they are still able to play along because the process involves them still doing their job, but then uh, if they're going to value, the valuation has to be converted to a certain digital attribute in the in the blockchain to ascertain the value of that land, like with the conversation that was secret NFT. And also, let the convincing people, we don't say, no, we're taking conversion to our hands. They still do their job, but then they're just able to charge that transaction through that platform by saying, Calvin, we look at transaction that requires you to pay two tokens or two coins equivalent of maybe 1,000 to pull. So we don't take away the players. They just come together, but now playing their process in the blockchain space. So yes, you are correct. Okay, but great. You, you are going to, you are going to um, take us through another um, type of use case outside of land. Um, I think I think I've heard one that there are different countries looking at doing elections using um, a blockchain. Is that something you've heard? Yes, yes. Um, the, the, the blockchain election part uh, comes as part of the the, the DAO community, uh, decentralized um, authority. So the, the beautiful part about this one is that, uh, as I mentioned when I started giving the example about land, we still go back to the basics of um, ID attributes. Calvin. As, as, as what are his ID attributes and did Calvin um, come and register if he did I appear in the voters role but the voters role is a record in the blockchain so there is no way I can actually now go try to mimic another attribute because it will be picking multiple data points that build a profile about me that is encoded into the system at the time of voting you just need to validate from your phone or computer to say I'm participating and everybody can see that that vote but you can even encode who you are voting for but your participation your record to vote because you are now using those id attributes again is viable to say calvin registered you so i cannot run and say i'm gonna uh, restart another vote no, because that unique number that i created based on my attributes requires so, so those data points that create a profile about me so um um that 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 voting aspect as well has been used to actually do some sort of not necessarily centralized but a hierarchy that talks about the validation that I spoke about to say uh, how do we then assign um people who are able to be the trusted loop in the protocols and then what are their key attributes for them to be part of that protocol so I think um Simba can help me elaborate a bit on the voting part because it also. Uh, comes to the issue of now trying to 
um, reduce the, the issue of saying you are going to be using electronic machines that vote without enabling blockchain, because then if you have blockchain in there, that part of now duplication and then trying to uh, 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 do 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 cross voting, I mean do multiple voting, which will be the same as double spending in the in the in the cryptocurrency space, is eliminated totally. So yes, that's another use case, and um, I forgot which country it is. There's a couple of countries. I'll, I'll show, I didn't look it up, but I'll share on the on the hashtag. There are a couple of countries which tested this internally and it actually worked. And the organizations that are actually, you know, uh, Simba, Switzerland. You, yeah, yeah, so. And also, there are a couple of virtual um, um, entities in the blockchain space that actually use that uh, voting as their primary of maybe person consensus rights or, or voting rights. Yeah. So, 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 Simba, I've been neglecting you um, for for a bit. I've been letting Calvin speak alone. Um, I can let me bring you in now. Do you have any? Do you have any sort of comments you want to add on what we've what we've been what we've been discussing? Uh, not much. Calvin has basically touched most of the <clears throat> the information that has to do with the blockchain, but I think it, it just goes to the issue of like the Austrian economics I was talking about. At the core of Austrian economics is the individual. They look about at individual decisions and individual rights. You find that in centralized systems, if you have a rogue government, individuals can effectively be cut off from financial services for whatever reason. So the blockchain actually eliminates some of those things. So it's basically a force for human rights, whereby individuals who may be cut off from the centralized financial system can still be able to access financial services and move on with their lives despite what may be happening in their in their individual nations. I think that's basically what I wanted to touch on. It's it's a force for fighting for human rights. Huh? And more, I think right now... It's more, now, demo, it's more democratic. Very, very democratic. I think in Ukraine right now, people were able to manage to convert a lot of their savings into crypto and escape the country with just pieces of paper with their private keys and relocate to Europe where they are housed right now without even moving around with large sums of money in their pocket. So it's a that's an actual use case right now of how you can be able to democratize money in the face of a conflict. Great. Um you we I think it, we can bring in NFTs now. Um this is this is something that I think has gotten <clears throat> quite a lot of traction in the past few in the past year or two um do, what what are nfts um and and why should we care okay i think most people have seen nfts as some sort of a joke <laughs> well i was quite skeptical of the use cases initially but as i delved deeper into it i realized that there were actual future use cases despite the the funny JPEGs and the pixelated apes that people were selling for millions online. I think to, to break it down simply, an NFT, those are basically three letters that stand for non-fungible tokens. So the word fungible there in the middle basically talks about uniqueness. So you have a situation whereby you are selling or creating a coin that is so unique, it's not interchangeable for another one. So uh, a 10 puller note is interchangeable with another 10 puller note. 
but you may find that there is a very unique 10 polar note that has serial numbers 101010. That's quite a unique um, 10 polar note. And I know in other countries, those are called collectors and they go for, for thousands, if not millions, depending on how unique they are. So the uniqueness now is that a, a, a token that is considered a non-fungible token is so unique that its value, it cannot be interchanged for another for another token. As an example, you can look at, let's say, the Mona Lisa is an art piece. Eh? That's such a unique art piece. Even a, a replica of it doesn't do justice or a photocopy. No matter how good it is, there's only one Mona Lisa. So non-fungible tokens are very unique tokens. And simply put, if you're looking at it in blockchain lingo, we are looking at it's a decentralized solution to intellectual property. Eh? So it's a way of actually... Uh, deriving intellectual property via smart contracts. So I think that's basically what the definition of a, of a non-fungible token is. So that's why you find most of the use cases right now have to do with art, whereby people are able to create unique art pieces, uh, convert them into a non-fungible token, and are able to monetize that. I know a lot of artists in Zimbabwe, South Africa have been creating unique art pieces which are now converted into a digital format and they're able to sell those as a token and actually make quite a bit of money from that but it, it's that's probably the lowest value form that i personally find when it comes to uh, non-fungible tokens the use cases for it actually fall back into what calvin was talking about he was talking about the issue of uh, land rights he was talking about the issues of trade and commerce eh? Imagine if you are able to, to tokenize, let's say, a beast, a cow, I think. You tokenize a cow, and this is when it's born. Eh? And at every activity of this cow, whether it's a vaccination, its weight, next weigh-in, its next inspection, all of these events are being recorded on the blockchain. By the time that cow now is at the age whereby it's now able to be sold off to an auction, you have an immutable record that is there for the for the cow. It has gone through all of its vaccinations. It has steadily maintained or gained weight, and it is in peak physical health. So you have a situation whereby uh, you are able to maintain a chain of custody of information which is immutable. These are the use cases that I think are quite useful when it comes to non-fungible token because that token now will have a full record of that cow. If you have 50 cows, you'll have 50 tokens. All of them will have the full record of the chain of custody of information in relation to that cow. Now you can scale that to anything. Let's say medications. We have a huge problem of fake pharmaceuticals globally. Yeah? What if you are able now to theoretically um, create a token for every single batch of medication. So all of the ingredients that come into it, you tokenize those as well. You have a complete chain of custody of information on a verifiable public blockchain to the point whereby that medication is now dispatched to come to Botswana or South Africa or whatever the case. So you now have an Im immutable record of the chain of custody of the ingredients, the quantities and all of that that came into making a particular batch of medication. So now you've created a trustless list system for you to be able to verify the chain of custody of individuals, medications, of livestock and assets. And the use cases are quite endless when it comes to that. Th thank you. I, and, I, and I want 
and I want us to sort of extend that a bit. And and I like that you you brought in the cow discussion, because I think a lot of people um, yesterday um, you 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 provided me with that article from Mastercard that was speaking about how blockchain and and I guess you've extended that to NFTs um, can be used. Um, on things like live, livestock and that there's, there's guys in Zim who are doing that now um, and how that then helps the the farmers and how that helps with the selling of those cows um, and, you know, the use case, which with regards to um, collateral in banks. So could you just explain that a bit more? And I guess even outside of cows as well, and then we could obviously move it to other assets as well. Okay. Um, Another very important aspect of our financial services sector is the issue of collateral. We have a situation whereby people who don't have physical land or other immovable assets, they find it very difficult to access financial services specifically for whatever endeavors they might want to engage in, whether it's be commerce or entrepreneurship. With the tokenization now of various forms of um, whether it's art pieces, whether it's uh, real estate, or even uh, cows like uh, that uh, use case for Zimbabwe with MasterCard, you have a situation whereby, imagine you've tokenized that cow at birth. You have a full record of it for a year now, all vaccinations, all taggings, and all of that. It has an intrinsic value now at year one. You can actually be able to find services whereby you can be able to collateralize now that NFT to access fiat. Well, the fiat, basically, you're looking at the actual currencies that we use on a day-to-day basis to fund your business, whether it's for growth or for expansion or whatever the case might be. So you find that there are services that actually take NFTs and they're able to offer financial services against them. I know Gemini, one of the biggest um, crypto exchanges in the world, actually takes a custodial service to say, you bring your NFT, there's the intrinsic value that it, it comes with, and they're able to offer you financial services based off that. So it's 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 another way to democratize uh, financial inclusion, whereby people are able to collateralize uh, these NFTs. I know with some cases, you have a situation whereby in you can be able to collateralize like Bitcoin and Ethereum. There's so many big companies that actually currently do that. But most people are not in that capacity to be able to start now buying such large volumes of Bitcoins to be able to do that. But imagine if you already have, you have cattle or you have some form of intellectual property that you have, whether you're a musician or not, you can be able now to tokenize that and find third parties that actually do collateral services. So the use cases in regards to that are, are quite endless. I know of a use case of uh, artists right now who are able to tokenize uh, the releases of their albums. So what happens now is they they tokenize an album, and from that tokenization, they will apply now, they will approach a, a third party that offers uh, lending via uh, NFTs. And they can now be able to program a third layer now to that token to say any revenue streams that may be derived from the exchange of these tokens, they get a piece of the action, whether it's 2% or 5%. So now you have programmed commissions into it, and these individuals are able now to recoup their, their what you call it, their loaning facilities without the need now 
of involving deputy sheriffs and all sorts of other services to make sure that they get what they're due. So it's it's a way of making everyone is honest in the game. Okay, that's a, that's an interesting one for for creators to create the creative sector, and I'm sure a lot of musicians and and people in, who are into art will probably embrace that because they probably are the the people that struggle the most when it comes to to being able to do anything, um, you know, with with collateral. I know that um, you know Cedar and them in terms of intellectual property are starting to look at um, being able to use that intellectual property. So, are you saying? using something like this like an nft would be quite an easy way in trying to sort of determine the value and be able to include and be able to potentially even um you know assign assign payments and seed um that collateral to lenders like acida that would allow for um for artists to sort of be able to get into the let's call it the, the sort of the mainstream economy um, I would say yes and a no in respect to specifically Botswana. The reason why I'm saying that is we, we have a very rigid economy in terms of processes. We are not yet at that level whereby we have done mass adoption of uh, these second layer digital services. So theoretically in the future, yes, it's very possible now in Botswana to be able to actually uh, collateralize, let's say, your your intellectual property and actually go to a financial services provider to be able to get uh, funding towards that for other uh, products. I know in other countries it's already happening. Like if you go online right now, the Gemini, um, what do you call it, the Gemini exchange is able to take your NFT and based on the value that you bought it at and its intrinsic value now, they can give you a percentage of the value of that NFT as a loan to you. So. Across the the waters, if I may use that term, those services are currently available now. I think in Botswana, it's just a matter of us now being able to uh, educate one another to understand what the actual use cases are for them now to be able to adopt. There's also a legislative issue to it because I know there is an actual term of what constitutes uh, intellectual property. And... Some of those things may need now to be revised over time so that it can be able to include. I know, like I'll, I'll give you an example. The issue of digital signatures took well over six years before it ever went to parliament, but it was a discussion which was being held in the background. So if we took that long to adopt digital signatures and not even all entities actually accept them right now in Botswana, it's going to take us a while for our artists to be able to leverage off that. My advice to them would be to basically use the world as a global marketplace and find other providers who are more forthcoming to accept digital intellectual property and be able to fund their projects. I like I like that you've taken the conversation sort of away from the theory of what's possible to sort of um, what the practical side of what's actually happening on the ground. And, you know, I'd like you guys to possibly sort of give us some comments on that i know simba you you follow you you, you, i i see you you share a lot of articles on um what's happening in zim and in other countries um on on the legal side of things and i guess that'll always be for now anywhere while we're trying to fight adoption that's probably going to be um the more difficult uh problem that does need to get solved 
um, for adoption. Um, what's, let us know what's happening um, sort of in other countries in terms of what the different communities are doing there and how the approach that countries are sort of looking at, um, at, at these things and sort of, you know, start from where, uh, you know, the more progressive ones and then sort of bring it down to where we are as a country. And if, if there's work in this regard in terms of the, you know, in terms of the community. I think it stems from two main big problems that were happening when it came to legislatures. Huh? There is the issue of the definition of what constitutes an asset and what is a security. Huh? I think that's where all of the problems started off globally in regards to, to the blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Because an NFT is actually a cryptocurrency. Huh? This problem started off with, in our laws as they exist in our countries, there's a very specific definition of what constitutes an asset and how an asset is valued, who is able to actually hold a custodial service for an asset, and how is it transferred from party A to party B. When cryptocurrencies now came into play now, it became very difficult because they are called a currency, but the last, the custodian of currencies is actually the government. And this is actually now, in uh, quotations, a currency that is not issued by government. So most of the governments, just like with Botswana, they decided to just fold their arms and say, we'll wait and see what's happening because we issue the puller, so we don't know, we don't have legislation that actually deals with the virtual assets, as they call them. <clears throat> In other countries, they've gone a step forward. They've now started now to ratify particular asset classes of virtual assets as actual assets. Like I know in the UK, uh, you find that uh, they ratified actually Bitcoin and and uh, Ethereum, if I remember well, as virtual assets, which a person can be able to actually put as part of their portfolio. That now brings in all of the ensemble of, uh, <clears throat> of services that come with that. Because now if you are able to say, I have this many Bitcoins in my custody and it's recognized as a virtual asset, can I be able now to collateralize that for other services? Am I able now to play in the financial services sector, let's say derivatives and all of that? So it opens an entire chain of of, uh, of services that come with that. The problem now is there are clearly defined laws on what a security is. And when you issue a security, you are required to follow certain processes. And there are only certain individuals that are allowed to trade in insecurities, verified investors and all of that. But now people are were basically creating their own cryptos, people are minting their own NFTs. So that's where now the issue of regulation comes into play. And I think right now it's a situation whereby we're playing cat and mouse, whereby a lot of the legislators don't understand enough about virtual assets to be able to craft coherent laws that would help to regulate the market and bring mass adoption. I won't lie to you, I, I break ranks with a lot of people in our space. I am an advocate of regulations because it allows us to have mass adoption for people who are not aficionados in the, in the space. A lot of us came into this because we, we were in love with the technology, we understand it, we know how to hold our private keys. But without some form of a custodial service from the financial institutions, you will never have mass adoption. That's why right now we have a big problem whereby the adoption that has happened is from the institutional investors like the Grayscales, the uh, micro sailors with micro strategy. 
who have distorted the market instead of the individuals who should have just gone into the system because now there's a platform which they can be able to operate. I don't think my grandmother in the village is able to go and download a private wallet and to be able to buy Bitcoin or trade with it. But if there was a, a trusted regulated third party in Botswana who was able to actually hold those assets for her in custody, rank her risk and to help her to trade for her and there's oversight there would be mass adoption. So I think that's where the, the issue is. I believe in regulation, and I think we are still far behind when it comes to regulation. Most of the African countries are playing catch-up. Some of them are banning it because they are afraid in regards to some of the tools that the central bank needs to, to be able to control inflation. So as an example, the issue of raising rates and all that. If people now see that happening, they see that inflation is wreaking havoc in a country. A lot of them will start now opting to go to virtual assets. So some of these tools that the central bank has to try to control the economy, these monetary policies may prove to be useless because they don't have a control anymore of the money supply. <laughs> okay, great. Um, let me bring Calvin back in. Uh, you, what are, are we seeing any sort of efforts um, in the different communities that you guys are in? Are you seeing any efforts in Botswana, whether at, cent whether at central bank or government level, and or even just that individual community level? Are, are we seeing people starting to, you know, to, to go to board Ministry of Lands and pitch um, the solutions uh, that use blockchain um, and or NFTs as uh, potential solutions for going forward? Um, yeah, I would say individually, we are seeing the, the interest and, and, the, and the efforts in terms of trying to synthesize as well as educate. You know, Simba touched a very important point in terms of education. And as much as you say, you, you don't want to talk about crypto, but the other issue was, you know, our challenging thing here in Botswana is when we hear of something or if something becomes the buzzword, we just want to jump in without understanding the fundamentals. But um, just going back to, to your question, I would say individually, even through the movements that we try to, to, to advocate for, to join in the groups that we join in, we are trying to raise that voice to say, these are the use cases, these are the concepts, these are the proof of concepts. Let us try them so that at the government level, um, it's not like we've got anything to lose. We, we're not saying we're going to change the system overnight. Uh, because the system that is here currently will take ages to maybe revamp or improve. But um, the, the collective effort that we want to see uh, happening, we want that collective effort to not just come from us as individuals, but also if we lobby, be given a chance to say, fine, we tried this, it doesn't work, or we're trying this, it might work. And now, the challenging thing is the fear of the unknown, because you don't really understand these technologies, what their capabilities are. We tend to look just on the negatives. And fueled by those actions that the you know large institutions are doing by pushing prices up by going troves in with whale amounts, we then say, ah, this is too risky, or this is too uh, too advanced, or this is too technical. And um, it's it's up to us, um, like what we are trying, like you know, these efforts, like yourself, bringing this to the public to say this is a concept called block blockchain, this NFT. What are the use cases? You know, are, are we willing to collectively try? and say, how can this work? Can we build uh, concept papers? 
you know, we tried to, to raise a token to, to track the, the gold price in, Zim, in Zimbabwe, but because of the bureaucracy and the politics around that, we just went to the stage of creating the token. We couldn't even attach the vote of gold to it. So now imagine if we had to bring everything back home to say supply chain management, arts and crafts, uh, voting systems, um, 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 value added fintechs, insurtechs, reg tech, comply tech, um, prop tech. You know, I know one lady who's in this um, um, in this space who's, who's into prop tech heavily. And those synergies, everybody has a piece of puzzle to play and plug into the whole ecosystem. So if we can collectively then come together to collaborate, I'm sure that movement can actually cause enough noise to provide regulations that not just uh, regulate, but also allow flexibility. You know, uh, I, I would like to also refer to Simba's um, comment to say regulation is good, but it shouldn't be a stifle to doing uh, innovation and disruption. And right now, most banks, um, the third party is when this data protection acts came into play. They are just now playing catch up and compliance instead of doing the banking process. So we don't want to be caught in that quagmire of just being regulatory, um, running after regulation without actually doing proof of concept. So if we collectively do this, um, we can see more of this happening. We can see more of this being tried out. We can actually attract um, investment. We can actually now create um, um, things that can be practicalized and put into play. Thank you. Right. Um, I think I think it's time that we start taking questions. Um, I'll start off with a question from Albakwe Basupi. He says, "How does holding an FT an NFT make it gain quality or become more expensive, or is it a concept of time and quality?" Simba, cool. I can answer that. I think with like with anything that happens in the financial space it's an issue of market forces so as an example if an nft gains a lot of demand its value will appreciate uh i can give an example of that there are basketball players right now who are creating nft tokens of their greatest moments and what happens now with that is um a lot of people are now gravitating towards those nfts because those are some of the greatest moments in basketball and obviously these nfts are great gaining a lot of value i'm pretty sure if michael jordan actually <laughs> nft some of his <clears throat> greatest moments he can be able to get a lot of revenue from that so that's it's, it's a matter of market forces obviously if you create some pixelated J, jpeg without any demand uh, it will probably lose value over time and even go to zero. But if it's something that people are gravitating towards, it will gain traction. And also sometimes you find that as the artist becomes well-known, uh, the NFT now starts to appreciate in value. No one knew Van Gogh when he was alive, but his art pieces are now uh, priceless. So, so, so explain that to me. Let's go back to that basketball example. Mm-hmm. Those, guys great, those guys' greatest uh, moments are there on YouTube. So mm-hmm. why would I why would I pay for an for an NFT that basically just shows me something that I could find on YouTube? How, how would that be different? Okay. Um uh, the clearest example I, I can give of that is you having a picture of Mariah Carey in your in your folder that you downloaded off the internet 
and you having a picture of Mariah Carey that she personally signed when she did a concert in Botswana. Those two things will have totally different uh, values because of the intrinsic emotional and in nature that comes with that. So it's like basically a, a celebrity signed copy of an actual moment in that person's life. Got it. I think that that example actually um, got it really well. Um, anybody who wants to ask questions, um, please uh, feel free to send a speaker request. Um, and we'll also be looking for questions um, on, 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 the, on the timeline. We've got about 10 more minutes. Um, I, I, I'm going to sort of let the guys take the conversation where they think they want to take it or um, speak about anything that's important, especially on the use case side of things. Um, Calvin, what haven't we talked about that is probably important um, for people to understand? I think what we have talked about is um, the students, um, as well as the underlying um, literature or education out there. Um, people um, always like when you posted this 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 post of of, of the of the spaces. You know, I had a lot of questions to say. You know, if I want to do forex trading, if I want to do crypto, um, what is blockchain? Is blockchain the same as crypto? And I always tell people, and it's not like I'm trying to dismiss them. The most important thing you can do for yourself is to attain just a simple um, education online or we can point to the links that actually gives you the basics. We can explain, yes, but um, the, that underlying foundation for education also gives the advantage to now you developing a skill set, you know. And nowadays, um, coding is not as complex as 80, 20 years back where you needed to write every line of code. You've got templates online, you've got these platforms available as, as framework. So, the, the, the advent of educating yourself, just gaining basics, you know, fundamentals, as well as understanding what skills you need to be able to deploy, to manage, to support, or, or to teach about these, is, is quite, will take you far because, um, you know, the world is going towards that. It's not something which, as much as governments are still shying away from, it's not something which we can ignore. It's not the future like data. Like what people always say, data is the, is the new world of the future. No, 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 no. These things are happening. It is current now. So let's learn. Let's upskill ourselves. All right, great. Um, I'm going to bring in, uh, I think, PC Banda. Um, please introduce yourself. Let us know who you are and either ask a question or give a comment. Hi, thank you very much. I'd like to thank the panel for bringing me up. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, also the very insightful things that have uh, been said in this space. I'm Pagam Swanda. Um, I have a small data startup, uh, and I also run NFT Africa, which is an offshoot and a social entrepreneurship where I help onboard uh, people in Africa. So um, what I just want to shed light on, uh, not really a question, but to shed light is on... Uh, also using NFTs for uh, fundraising, crowdfunding, and raising funds for impact projects. That's what I'm really uh, keen on, um, like funding NGOs, um, using the same techniques that were said before, and also using um, NFTs 
for crowdfunding projects in the space. Um, that's, that's the biggest use case, I think. It's more on the fun side. Um, it's not too serious, but it, it's got great value. Thank you very much. Yeah, so to, to just explain that to us. So first, also just let us know, you said you onboard people onto NFT Africa. Let us know what that is. And then also just please sort of, you said there's use cases in social, sort of in trying to, in fundraising and, and crowdfunding. Um, just give us an example of the kind of things that can be done or that you've done in the past. Okay, I'll give you a simple example. Uh, my first pilot project, when I got into the space, I noticed um, I was a lot in the Western uh, time space. So I was really functioning, not really with us, but on, on what we would call the metaverse. Um, and there was nobody around me who could relate. So most of the people I wanted to onboard didn't have a few things which were challenging. Um, I think the simplest thing was data or a device to, to, to be on and also power. I think those are the big catch issues in Africa. So um, I onboarded with, a, with an NGO in uh, the United States. Um, and what we did, we raised... Uh, we created five, and if they, they created about nine NFTs, and those NFTs were done by an artist, a famous artist, uh, I think from Brazil, and they auctioned them out, and uh, we received thirty percent of the proceeds. All that was written in the smart contract. When the sale happened, the um, the crypto went straight to the crypto wallet for the NGOs entail. So that was a use case. And then with those funds, we were able to buy uh, startup kits for somebody in Botswana and somebody in South Africa. Um, I think they're, they're all on my Twitter, but that's like uh, something that was just a pilot project to say what impact can we do real quick so i guess that that kind of model is, is sort of saying um there's an there's an ngo um, we want to raise funding for it we want to do an auction and then what you can do with an auction is you create an nft that can then be auctioned anywhere in the world and the proceeds go to um this particular um ngo for for work that can be done is that have i understood that well Yes, exactly that. Not only that, but the artist also gets their proceeds and the onboarding partner, which is the organization we were partnered up with, also gets their cut. So it's a three-way split and that all happens on the smart contracts. Um, and when the transactions happen, nobody can tamper with it and the funds will go to the organization and then they can be tracked further. Unfortunately, as you were saying, uh, we don't really use... Uh, much uh, NFTs or crypto in um, government and NGOs. So that's another place I'm trying to focus to onboard NGOs to tap into this new funding um, space and be able to uh, raise funds using that and then track those funds all the way to the intended uh, recipients of that. And I, and I guess there's an advantage there where you effectively would be able to open it up 
um, certain auctions to the whole world rather than, you know, there's a, there's a famous artist in Botswana called Wilson and Goni. If he does something like that, um, he, he the auction wouldn't just be local. He'd be able to do an NFT that would be international and therefore probably be get more demand and hopefully be able to raise more more funding, right? Definitely, definitely. Um, I think the case in Africa is that there's nobody who is quite well. There's not too many, but there are. There's, uh, I think, uh, there's a there's a big NFT African community. Um, there's also a Nigerian NFT community, Kenyan NFT community uh, that I've seen springing up. So I think we need to just you know also be involved on our end of the the the, the continent and come together and have more of these conversations. Well, thank you, thank you for that. Now, now I'm going to I'm going to ask all of the speakers, and I think we could probably wrap it up now. And I'll ask all the speakers, and I'll put um, uh, Mr. Sabando on the spot as well to to sort of how do we. How do we move things forward? So, so I'll, firstly, I want to say, how do we move things forward at a at a macro level? Um, how do we move things forward? Like, if there's a if there's a someone right now who wants to get involved um, and wants someone to work with or someone to learn from or somewhere to start, how do we move all of this forward? I think the biggest thing that you guys have spoken about, I think the use case is amazing, especially for Africa um, and can do a lot for us, but the problem is always going to be mass adoption. So how do we move it? How do we move things forward such that we can bring mass adoption to not just our governments, but also our communities? Um, let's start with, let's start with Simba. Okay. <clears throat> I've always maintained that um, the best way to actually get mass adoption has to do with a regulatory framework that's conducive. So starting now, I think we are in the process of that. We, we are part of the Botswana Fintech Association. We are in the process of getting um, formalized as an association where we can be able to sit with the stakeholders that craft our laws. So we start at the macro level whereby we create an enabling environment that allows us to be able to deal in virtual assets in the country freely and also in a way that is safe for everyone else because we know the scams are out there. So I think that's the first part. The second part now is to be able now to form organizations for education where we can now be able to train not only the, <clears throat> the corporates, but then now the the individual users of the system. The banks don't know much about what's happening in the crypto world. They're just looking at it as a threat, but they don't realize the use cases to their advantage, specifically the issue of uh, custodial services. When mass adoption eventually comes, the banks are going to be critical to become the custodial services for people who want to now start adopting crypto. That's the only way that we're going to have mass adoption. So basically being part of the table that crafts the regulations in terms of uh, regularization and the adoption of crypto by the, the laws of the country. And number two, bringing on board now the corporates and training the citizens on how these systems work. Great. And, and, and um, I'm glad you've mentioned the FinTech Association. So at least we do know that there's you know, a central place that I guess work can be done. Um, Calvin, 
any 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 last comments from you on 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 how we can get this um get things moving and how someone can start to get involved if they're interested okay uh, my my take has always been you know we limit ourselves to thinking because Botswana might be behind in terms of tech regulations geography spread then therefore we've got limitations on what we can do um i would urge all of us to to be more open minded you know let us embrace what's coming and you know drop our fear fear meter guys let's just open our minds and mm-hmm. learn and unlearn um processes how they work and so forth i'll keep on going back to the issue of educating ourselves and also advancing our skill sets because that will form a basis like a foundation of if a technology is now leveraging of um layer two layer three layer four web techs um we're able to also adopt and i can easily explain to people what i'm offering so that issue of learning that issue of skills that issue of also uh, just being aware of everything around us will make it to absorb what we are being taught and turn to a introspect and see how do we then make this work so when the regulations come and then we are mass adopting you know it's not individually but it's in that proof that is also presented by how um the block blockchain networks work in terms of making things things happen so that is my take okay cool um and mr sibanda what do you where can people get involved um, I see you're into social entrepreneurship. How do pe- how do people get a hold of you um, to get involved, to help in any way, and 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 to move things forward? Um, yeah, I'm still also just starting, so I'm going to uh, put my website together and have more information there on how people are going to onboard. Uh, currently. Um, working with the also the Satoshi Hub to have a few talks there. I hope to have more talks there, and um, that's I think those are the two places you can reach me so far. Okay, great. Um, I had hoped um, I had hoped that we would be able to get um, a guest from uh, from Kenya who's been involved in the space quite a bit but it looks like he wasn't able to um he wasn't able to make it i i you know i see some people in the space especially in banking and and other sort of um you know positions of influence and i'll also put it out there that uh i myself um sit on i'm an independent board member on um a state owned enterprise or parastatal called National Agricultural Research Development Institute, and I see my fellow board member here, um, Tani Deswai, as well. Um, we 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 would be very interested. What Nadi does is Nadi is tasked with carrying research for Botswana in the agricultural space, um, and the challenge that I think I will put to anybody here is, you know, with the use cases that we've talked about with the use cases that have been discussed even with regards to things like um livestock and 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 using blockchain for things like that that places like that places people like myself like Madiswai, please hit us up um and we can get if you're doing work in that space we can get you in contact with um institutions like that where you can actually go um and 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 work um with them 
um, and pitch your things with regards to with regards to research and spaces like that. Um, the, the the importance of um, things like PW Connect spaces is that it's let's use um, the community, let's use our different networks um, to try to further some of these things. So if you're doing anything in that space that that regards with regards to you know agricultural research, but I guess today specifically talking about um, blockchain and or NFTs or use cases, um, feel free to reach out to people like ourselves so that we can put you in contact with the relevant people who you can then further all of that. Uh, I'm going to ask um, Calvin and Simba to um, let us know where people can reach them. Um, if they if they wanna if they wanna do more work with them, where they can read about the work that they're doing in different in different spaces, I know that I had them um, here today speaking about NFTs and blockchain, which really are um, sort of their interests. But if you want to sort of use their specific services and or work with them or learn from them, um, where can people reach you? Um, let's start with Simba. Okay, you can hit me up on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SeanKYC, or you can go to our website, um, www.kyc-bw.com. Feel free to inbox. I respond quickly. Great. Yeah, Um, the website is the website is the same, kyc-bw.com. Um, on Twitter, my handle on Twitter is Kobayashi Maru, but you can also search using Carlos Dave1982. I'm also on LinkedIn, Calvin David, and yeah, that's where I can be reached. And I've got my WhatsApp business line that I'll share if people really request for it, but not here. Great. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And I... With those final words, I'd like to say thank you to everybody who joined us today. Um, I hope that today, as confusing as it might have been to most people, I hope that it it, it enlightened us in, in a little bit um, and it in, in piqued the interest of people in terms of the use cases. Like we said, you're talking about democratizing things like financial services, things like making elections easier and more convenient and more trustworthy, making land transactions easier, more trustworthy, um, you know, making, giving access and, um, to financial to financial services for previously marginalized um, communities. So this is something that could truly um, convert, um, could really, um, our economies, in Africa could really leverage of some of these technologies if we only put in the effort um, to catch up with the rest of the world um, and do them. So it was, I think it was more important for us to try to, um, to try to pique the interest of people that are outside of tech, to know that these things are happening in the world, um, to know that it's not just about trading, but there is actually fundamental use cases um, that some of these things that, um, that you hear about every day that they actually have. And thank you for, for, for thank you for surviving it. Thank you for listening. And um, thank you once again to APSA for powering the space. We should look out for the you should look out for the podcast, which will probably drop hopefully at the end of the week. Um, share that. Please go to your respective podcast services, like, subscribe um, to that so that you get our podcast. And we will see you 
um, in two weeks where I think we'll be talking about social entrepreneurship. Thank you very much and good night. Mm-hmm.